Welcome to The Deciding Point, our Cracked Rackets roundup of the biggest storylines going on throughout the tennis world, and joining me to break down those storylines, as he always does. You know him as our Cracked Rackets do everything, forefather of the forehand slice. It's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, another weekend in paradise. How are you doing? Yeah, well, hey, listen, for my intro, you cut the undefeated high school part, so lucky me, I'm repping Pembroke Hill right here. Uh, It's always on top of my mind, so hey, that just works out, doesn't it? But no, having a great weekend, another Chiefs win, I'm feeling good. Yeah, you know, it was in the production meeting, that was the first cut, unfortunately, but yes, the only undefeated high school coach in Missouri State Tennis history, glad to see you are repping that here on this show as well, and what we are going to be repping on this show is that it's award season, the ATP announcing their awards this week, the WTA just announced their awards last week, we want to talk about those two things, also talk a little bit about the updates we have gotten from the Australian Open, from the college tennis season, in terms of what the 2021 tennis world is going going to look like and then of course we will end with our deciding point but with that in mind west off let's start the show All right, Jamie, let's start with the award winners we know already, and that, of course, are all of the WTA award winners from the 2020 season, the WTA announcing those awards last week. Nothing too shocking, but I want to run through the big three here thus far, and let's start with the top award, Player of the Year. There are a lot of good nominees. Ultimately, the award goes to Sophia Kennan. Your thoughts on that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the right pick. Look, the, the start of 2020 honestly feels like about seven years ago, um, you know, just because it was a pre-COVID world. But, you know, Kennan started phenomenally um, at the Australian Open, and then she backs that up with wins throughout 2020, makes deep runs. I, I think she earns it. No brainer for me. Yeah, I I think there were a couple of good nominees here. You know, Elisa Mertens is not going to win player of the year. She does deserve some sort of recognition for leading the season in wins. She just played everything, and in a year of uncertainty, you deserve some recognition for that. You know, Naomi Osaka was 16-2 and in the matches she did play. She was outstanding. Simona Halep, really good on the year as well. But yeah, Sophia Kennan was the total package. She played a ton of events. She made two slam finals. She was the best player week in, week out. I do agree agree with you. I think she has to win that award in the end. Let's move to our next award, Newcomer of the Year. This was an interesting one to me. They go with Nadia Podoroska, who was something like 43-6, and six, I think, on the season between ITF, WTA-level events. Obviously, her big breakthrough coming as she makes the semifinals of Roland Garros. She's inside the top 50 now. Did the WTA make the correct decision, Jamie? I'm okay with this pick. I think this is the this is a really hard one to make a quote correct pick unless there's somebody who's just obvious, you know, especially on the WTA, the amount of young talent there is. There's all there's always, you know, six, seven, eight players that are on the come up. So it's really hard. This one I'm okay with. Yeah, it, it was just one really deep run at Roland Garros that seals this, and there's no way she's even in a conversation about it um, without that. But that being said, I mean, it was a hell of a nice run at the French Open, and so I'm okay with the pick. I don't think it's a phenomenal one, but I'm okay. Okay with it. Yeah, I mean, look, for Podoroska, she qualifies for this category because she was outside the top 200, right? And to be firmly established now inside the top 50, that's a huge jump. The player I thought of when I thought the term newcomer of the year, though, Jamie, was Layla Fernandez. She made that final at the beginning of the season in Acapulco. She established herself winning rounds at the slam. She was good on multiple surfaces. When I think of newcomer, it's not as though Nadia Podoroska is old by any means. She's 23 years old, and I think there's a lot of untapped ups 
upside in her game. But for me, what I'm thinking of, who was the newcomer who jumped out to me the most, the one I'm going to be following most closely after this season? I think that's Fernandez. Yeah, look, I think that's more than fair. And, and again, that just goes to the fact that you could name a handful of people. And, you know, I, I could get I could get behind that pick. So, again, Podoroska, fine with me, but nothing like, wow, yes, absolutely, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. Again, a well-deserved winner. She deserves some sort of recognition for her breakthrough this year. Well, and the last one I want to recap because I thought the rest were pretty self-explanatory. Uh, how about the most improved player of the years? Now, there are a lot of good candidates for this one. Ultimately, Iga Sviantek, who goes from inside the top 40 to winning a Grand Slam. That's the jump every player hopes to make. She wins the award. That's probably correct, right? Yeah, I think so. I think this is, again, in a bit of a, the Podoroska territory where it's like, yeah, without that one deep run, is this a conversation? No. Um, but look, if Sviantek backs this up, then this pick will age really well. If it's a poor 2021, it won't so much. But, you know, in this case, especially given how 2020 was, 2020 was as a season, I think it's got to go to Iga Sviantek. I think there were two other players who could have qualified for this. Jen Brady, who was just so good on the hard courts in Mm -hmm. August, and the jump she made into the top 20, that was a clear jump in level. And, you know, when I want most improved, I need to see you jump at least one level, if not two levels in results. And another player who I thought did that early in the season was Elena Rabakina, right, who was so good, I think 29 and 10 on the year. She deserves recognition. But again, the toughest jump you can make in level is from contender to Grand Slam champion. One could argue, Sviantek wasn't even considered a contender heading into that French Open for her to jump outside of that realm into a Grand Slam champion conversation. You're the most improved player of 2020. And of course, again, there were other WTA awards that you can go check out. A simple Google search will do the job. Let's move now to the ATP awards. And again, these awards are going to be given out this week. Some of them self-explanatory player of the year on the ATP tour just goes to the number one player at the end of the season. That's going to be Novak Djokovic. We'll debate that I'm sure on a podcast sometime soon. Well, actually, let's do it quickly now. Is Djokovic your pick for player of the year? No, I don't think so. Um, I think I would probably give it to somebody like Team. But again, this would take a long time to flush everything out here. So we don't need to do it. I agree. I guess the reason I wanted to say that is because I agree. There should be more thought than just number one player in the world. It's a 50, yeah. it's not a 45 week season. It should reflect that fact. Let's look at the fun ones to debate. Let's start with most improved. There are a lot of players who made big jumps. The nominees here Umber, Sinner, Rublev, Schwartzman. Who do you have, Jamie, and why? Well, I mean, it goes back to what you were talking about on the WTA side, who made that jump. For, and for me, it's Yannick Sinner. Um, you know, he's the guy who went from, oh, everybody, he's the, the the darling of tennis Twitter, like, oh, look what this guy will be, to, wow, he's making deep runs, right? He's beating Zverev in a major. I mean, this guy can play. Um, and so to me, that that's a huge one. And I think Sinner has got to get this one. I, I, think, the, I think he deserves it at this point. Here's my problem. Andre Rublev deserves an award for his performance this season, and it's not going to be player of the year, and I've, I've made the case on podcasts before. I'll make it on podcasts in the future. He's not winning that award. Uh, it's probably not you know newcomer of the year because people knew about Andre Rublev before then. It's probably not comeback player of the year because his injury happened really 2018. He was already starting to come back, in my opinion, at the end of 2019. I saw this from Sinner last year. I don't know if he was the most improved or if he just got a year older. Andre Rublev made significant leaps. I think that should be recognized. But all of that said, 
I think it's got to go to Ugo Umbert, who made the biggest jump, who was like, yeah, this guy was really good at the challenger levels. Now he's winning multiple ATP 250 titles, and it just looked so legitimate. He did it over the course of 12 weeks, right? It wasn't just this little three-week run. He was really, really good in 2020, and he is someone now who you have to talk about when you bring up any member of the next-gen ATP cohort. Yeah, look, I don't hate the pick. I, I still stick, you know, pretty hard with Sinner on this one. I understand why you want to give something to Rublev because he he deserves some award for what he's done. I wish I could throw him in the comeback category, uh, but realistically, to me, his level wasn't the one that exponentially went up, right? I mean, the, we've seen these flashes of Rublev for a long time. We know as soon as he makes this a consistent thing, it's going to be Andre Rublev in that story. To me, the biggest jump was from Yannick Sinner. He went from being, you know, contending in matches and like, oh wow, he can hang with him on the same court to like oh man, he's beating these guys, right? And so to me, that's why he deserves it, but we'll see. You know, that's a fun one. And then I think the other really fun one is going to be newcomer of the year. And of course, the ATP categorizes this as a player from outside the top 100 who jumped into the top 100, or top 200, excuse me, who jumped into the top 100, top 150 for the first time in his career. The nominees are Carlos Alcaraz, Sebastian Corda, Lorenzo Musetti, Yuri Rodionov, Emil Rusevori, Diego Sabeth Vild. Fun fact for all of you listeners, many of these players covered in our next-gen ATP 2.0 series, which of course you can read on our website website listen to on the mini break jamie who is your choice for newcomer of the year i, I think it's got to be alcaraz um mm-hmm. i look he just deserves it at this point and the things that this young star has shown is just simply phenomenal i mean you i'm sure you can read off all the stats and i, I you and i talked about this uh, before we recorded i think he's going to win so that's obviously influencing my pick here because i do want to pick who i think is going to win um <laughs> look sorry I'm, I'm selfish in that regard i think i think it's got to be alcaraz in this category yeah, I agree with you. Alcaraz is winning this award. Now it's just a matter of who do you think actually made the biggest jump. And for me, I think it might be be Emil Rusevori, who's not the most fluid athlete, but go watch him hit the cover of the ball. I think he's gone some incredible, and we just did a podcast on him that will be released in a couple of weeks. So the stats aren't the freshest on my mind, but I'm pretty sure it was something like, I think he's gone like 55 and 11 on the challenger circuit these past two years, something ridiculous like that. And, you know, he made the big, I think it was final, semifinal maybe, uh, at the ATP 250 level. I think it was a semifinal, and he lost to Manorino at the end of the year. Uh, he took a big jump. Rusevori, the talented 21-year-old from Finland, I, you know, I, I always thought he had some special talent, some, his ability to pop the ball certainly jumped off the screen, but he showed me a lot more. The serve is really, really good. Corda was great this year as well, by the way, Sebastian Corda, what he did at the French Open. But when you join lists that include only Rafael Nadal and Richard Gasquet, as Carlos Alcaraz did this fall, I mean, he's the guy. That's the winner. Musetti was great. All of these guys were great. Alcaraz is the winner. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason that these guys are in this list of candidates in the first place. But yeah, it's got to be Alcaraz. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And again, we will look for those ATP awards to be released later on this week. Things such as the Sportsmanship Award, Coach of the Year Award, uh, Comeback Player of the Year Award. There are a bunch of other fun things on there. So, of course, I'm sure we will talk about that at some point on a podcast this week. Let's move now to our next point and a couple of updates regarding the 2021 season. We learned some news out of Australia. And let's start, Jamie, with the most controversial policy that's been released of late regarding the 
the 2021 Australian Open. Here is the allowed sizes of the entourage per each player. If you're a former Australian Open champion, you're allowed to bring four people with you. If you're a former top, or if you're a top 10 player, you can bring three. If you're a main draw singles player, you can bring two. And if you are a main draw doubles team, you guys can collectively bring two people. I don't even know where to start, Jamie. Uh, I, we were talking about this off mic as well. I just want to know who the person in the Australian Open meeting was who was like, hey, I have this idea. And then who the subsequent person was who was like, that's great. Like, write that shit down. Yeah, no, I would have loved to be in these meetings because it's like, how did this conversation unfold? Was it one guy who just had this insane spreadsheet? He's like, guys, I worked on this all night. I got it. And everyone was like, all right. Or was it like this horrible, like six hour long meeting? And finally they were like, all right, we just got to decide. And so it was just an arbitrary, you know, pick a number thing. But yeah, I mean, look, obviously they're trying to do the correct thing and limiting it. Maybe there's not a perfect way and we'd be poking fun at it regardless. But you read something like that and you're like, okay, this is a little ridiculous. So here's the justification. It's that, oh, but these players are probably going to be here longer, so they're going to need more people with them as opposed to just slowly letting these people trickle in over time. It's getting them all there at once so they can get everyone quarantined all in one process. That is the thinking behind this. It's just not very good thinking. It's just like you didn't think through the optics. You didn't think through the fact that the disparity already exemplified, whether it be the pay scale, whether it be just the opportunities presented to top 10 players as opposed to players outside the top 10, the resources they have at their disposal. You're just exaggerating it with a policy like this. So it's just, it's the sort of unforced error in a tournament and in a time where there's so much uncertainty surrounding it. You just didn't need to do it if you're Tennis Australia. So I agree. It was just an unforced error from them. Now, we also did learn, though, some pretty cool things regarding the 2021 season. It looks like the WTA announcing that they are going to host a WTA 500 the first week of January in Dubai. They're also going to have Australian Open qualifying. Yeah, Australian Open, uh, not in Dubai, in Abu Dhabi. Excuse me, Australian Open qualifying also going to be there. It also does look like the ATP Tour is going to have a tournament in Delray Beach at the start of January. All good things, negatives, positives, your thoughts? I mean, look, anytime we're getting people on the court, you know, it's a positive thing in some aspect. Obviously, you hope that things are done safely and run correctly. And, you know, especially when we start talking about people traveling to Australia, a country that for the most part has done a really good job of getting this COVID thing under control, you start to worry and you're having people come from countries across the world who have not um, done that. And so the last thing you want to do is, you know, put Australia in a situation where, you know, you're just bringing a bunch of people who have been cavalier about this and not responsible. So look, I understand all the restrictions and guidelines. I think obviously if you can have people play safely, that's great. I mean, that's what we want. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to, hey, are we comfortable making this decision and that decision? And Ultimately, if this is a solution that they're okay with, then, you know, hey, we got some tennis in January and then we got a major in February. Yeah, the flip side of what we just ripped on the Australian Open for is that this is creativity. This is, hey, we had nine months to think of different ideas. Let's go outside the box. Does qualifying need to be in Australia? It doesn't. We can have it at a different site and you Mm -hmm. appreciate the open-mindedness there. Uh, At the same time, Australia's had nine months. Like, there there, there have got to be multiple ideas surfacing around now. Of course, they can't control the Australian government's policies, and there's a reason Australia has fewer than 10 cases a day compared to other parts of the country is because they take this shit seriously, and there's no messing around. And 
we'll see. Again, there's still a lot up in the air. I am leaning more and more positively towards it sounds like we are going to have some tennis in January at the ATP and WTA levels, but still a lot to be learned, and we will continue to update those stories. Let's move now quickly uh, to our final point before we get to the deciding point. We had some college tennis news this week. The ITA kickoff draft taking place for both the men and the women. Of course, we recap that at length in a couple of podcasts we did, which you can all find on our website. But we learned of late that Stanford, after finding out their school will not be letting students back on campus until, I believe, January 22nd, and thus not allowed to resume winter sports until the 24th. They're out of the national indoors, both the men's and the women's. And of course, the women, a host site, the men had the very first pick in the draft. Them pulling out uh, probably means Minnesota takes their place as an alternate in Raleigh. But just, Jamie, you played college tennis. You've been on the inside of those locker rooms. A team pulls a stunt like this. I know it's outside of their control, but what's your immediate reaction? That's just weird, um, and it's yeah. going to throw people for a loop, right? Especially the people and coaches and, and, I don't know, the decision makers, right, going through on that kickoff weekend draft who wanted to avoid Stanford and are now looking at this like, okay, really? You know, um, and, and so it's just it's, it's a weird situation. Uh, you've now got teams who have a, have an opportunity. You know, for example, the Minnesota squad is going to be really excited to, to be able to jump in here and compete um, in a region. Not only are they getting a chance they didn't have, but Stanford's not there. So, look, there's going to be people who are really happy. There's going to be people who are disappointed. Um, there are people who are are going to feel that they were slighted out of the situation but at the end of the day it is what it is and you got to go uh, you know take the court yeah two things to add to that one if you're tony bresky you are kicking yourself you were like wow i blinked because they ended up going to nc state and i you know tony bresky wake force was reported to go to nc state that's what everyone was telling us the entire time and they ended up opting out because they were a little bit afraid of stanford and now they're just like slapping the head the other one and this is going to be my hashtag in every tweet i send college tennis related or not until the national indoors send Baylor to Raleigh send Baylor to Raleigh competitive balance makes everyone happy in Ann Arbor it's no longer Texas and Michigan and Baylor you get one of them out of there Baylor still ends up probably qualifying for the national indoors and you have one happy fan in this guy now that's not gonna happen but maybe if enough people throw it out there it could happen so just floating it out there for now but with that in mind let's get to our final point the deciding point Jamie We learned this week the ATP marketing, uh, ATP crew releasing a new marketing campaign. It comes a few days, of course, after the WTA's announcement of the new marketing campaign. And their campaign, Jamie, it's very simple. It's a simple slogan. It's one thing all of us to remember. This is tennis. That's the theme heading into 2021. This is tennis. I don't really know what the theme is beyond that. I just know this is tennis, Jamie. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little simple. Um, even when you actually read the release for it, you're like, you read it six times and you're like, I don't know what that means at all. Um, so listen, you saw a lot of players, at least in the last few days, post some really cool like highlight clips and montages that were put together. That's great. You know, maybe you get some people excited about the game, return to the sport. I'm all for it. But yeah, the best we could come up with on the marketing slogan was this is tennis. Like, come on, give me a break. I think they called the Australia guy. They're like, hey, give us the 4-3-2-1 guy. We like yeah, for him. Real. <laughs> we here. Yeah, what does he have related to the ATP Tour? No, it's just you love the coordination. Absolutely. The fact that every player came out, said something, did their part. I praise the WTA for it. It's only fair that I praise the ATP for it as well. 
The thing is, the WTA was just more informative. It was more comprehensive. It's like, hey, expect 30 to 60 second ads throughout the season. Expect better access. Expect the renovation of the tournament nomenclature so that it's easier for everyone. Nowhere in the ATP release does it says, hey, we're going to do a better job releasing highlights. We're going to do a better job making players available. And that's really what marketing comes down to for ATP. Getting those highlights out there at a a broader extent uh, and getting more access to players as well. And I don't know if this addresses that yet, but maybe it's part of the later scheme. Yeah, and and look, I, I will say this. In all fairness... WTA had more catch-up work to do, so I think ATP was in a better spot ahead of this, right? I mean, barring, or listen, outside of the fact that WTA did a good job of getting their tournament highlights up on YouTube and having those be comprehensive for us to look at and then record, the ATP was way ahead on this sort of thing anyway. So I understand that there's less ground to to sort of catch up on there, at least from the ATP side. I feel like they were in a position where like, eh, we don't have to do quite as much, but it just comes off a little meh at this point. I don't agree that the ATP was way ahead. I do agree that the WTA needed to be more proactive, if that makes sense. It's not that the gap for the... The ATP can ride the Federer Djokovic Nadal bandwagon. They really can. They can ride those coattails to great ratings at the Grand Slams. And yeah, women's game has Serena, it has Osaka, but they're a little bit further along in the transition process than the men's game is. And thus, it's even more important to promote the next generation of stars. The ATP also did have the next-gen campaign, which, as I wrote about this week, was a success but no again I, I i i meh is a good word i need to see a little bit more i need to see what it looks like absolutely yeah all right well with that in mind of course a little bit of a bonus edition edition we went a little bit long this week it's because jamie and i haven't talked as much on a show in a while so we had some things to air out hopefully all of you listeners enjoyed that and of course there are still so many other things going on this off season all of us here at cracked rackets want to help get you listeners prepared for some tennis in 2021 so of course if you have missed any of our content be sure to go check out our website crackedrackets.com. but for my wonderful co-host james foster mcdonald our super producer daniel westoff and all of us here at cracked rackets i'm your host Alex Gruskin. You've been watching another episode of The Deciding Point. We will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.